you for downloading this podcast from Victory Outreach Manchester. We pray that this message will bless your life as you listen. Lord Jesus, we want to thank you for your presence here in this room today. We want to thank you, oh God, that you are with us, Lord God, right here, right now. And Lord, as we gather around your word, we pray, Lord, that you would help us to hear you. We want to hear you, God. Lord God, as we come open, as we come ready, Lord, speak to us today. Speak to your people in a special way. Lord God, bring about the breakthroughs, oh Lord God, that you want to bring about today, God. Lord, touch the weary heart and the lonely heart and the empty heart and the broken heart today. Lord, come, oh God, and do the things that only you can do. We completely turn this service over to you, Holy Spirit. You are welcome here to do whatever is on your heart to do we turn this service over to you now father in jesus name we pray and everyone said now one more thing put your hands together for the lord not for man not for everyone else but as if you're applauding god as if you're giving god a round of applause a standing ovation to god hallelujah because you're worthy Hallelujah. You can be seated this morning. Hallelujah. The title of today's message is Bring Me a Musician. Bring Me a Musician. Um, I don't know if you've ever heard a word about worship or about music before. Um, one thing that's exciting about our church right now, I think, about Victory Outreach Manchester, is that there are so many people that are new to church or new to Victory Outreach. And that's exciting to me because it means that there are so many people that are, that are hearing things for the first time. And this may be the first time you're ever going to hear a message about worship or even the first time you, you, you'll ever hear a message about music. Um, and if that's the case, then I really pray you open your hearts today because I think that God wants to speak to you today. I believe that God um, is in a God's heart to bring about a worship breakthrough in our church. And I've been praying into that. The worship team, we've been praying into that. The prayer team, we've been praying into that. A worship breakthrough. Because something happens when we worship. Something absolutely shifts and changes when we worship. And so I want to just speak about that today. The title is Bring Me a Musician. And like I said, it's like I'm looking at the material. And I'm like, man, I could, I could literally preach like for three weeks or more on this. But I'm going to try and roll it into one this morning. Okay, so you ready for the first message? <laughs> The first message today, which I'm going to like squeeze into like 15 minutes, hopefully, is called Worship Matters. Uh, open your Bibles if you have them. And if you don't, don't worry about it. It'll be on the screen. John chapter 4, verse 23. This is something which Jesus said, one of Jesus's um, words to a woman he was speaking to one day. John chapter 4, verse 23. And he says this. But the hour is coming, and now is, when the true worshippers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father is seeking such to worship him. I'll read it one more time. The hour is coming, and now is. It's now when the true worshippers, the true ones, will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such to worship him. When Jesus is talking about the Father, he's talking about God, God the Father. And he says that God the Father is seeking people who will worship him. See, often we think that it's us that are looking for God, people that are looking for God, people that are searching for God. But Jesus uses the word seeking here, searching. Not only are people searching for God, do you know that God is searching for people? God is seeking people, people who will worship him. 
He's looking for men and he's looking for women who will worship him, who will worship him in spirit and worship him in truth. Now, I'm not going to be able to go into what exactly what that means in this message because I want to really bring home the fact that God is seeking worship. Why is God seeking worship? Because God is worthy of worship. He's worthy of it. Worship is something which belongs to God. How many out there, if something belongs to you, you want to have what belongs to you, right? You want to have what's, what's yours, right? You don't like being cheated out of something that you know belongs to you, right? Is that right or not? You're like, no, 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 that's mine. That's, that, that's, that, no, that's, 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 I think you're in my seat. That's, that's mine, right? You don't like to be cheated out of something that belongs to you, right? Worship belongs to God. Have a look at this scripture. Colossians chapter 1, verses 16, 17, and 18 says this. For by him, that's God, by him, the Lord Jesus Christ, by him, all things were created that are in heaven and that are on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created through him and what? For him. And he is before all things. Someone say before. Someone say before. He is before all things, and in him all things consist. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things, someone say all things, that in all things he may have the preeminence. What a great word. The preeminence. Everything in existence, it was created by God and for his pleasure. I like to put it like this. God is number one. That's how I explain it. God is number one. Before anything else existed, God existed. And God was the one who then created all things. He said, let there be light and there was light. He said, let there be sun and moon, and there was sun and moon. He said, let there be land, and there was land. He said, let there be plants and trees, and there were plants and trees. He said, let there be birds, let there be fish, let there be beasts in the field. How many beasts in the field are there this morning? <laughs> and there were beasts in the field, and there were birds in the air. Jason, you're a bit of a beast in the field, bro. <laughs> you ever seen this guy do his weights and stuff? Jason with a kettlebell, that's a beast. He said, let there be, and there was. He came and formed human beings out of the dust of the ground and breathed into the nostrils of his sculpture, the breath of life, and man became a living being. Before anything else existed, it was God who existed, and God created all things, and why did he create all things? For his own pleasure. For his own pleasure. I remember the days as a kid when it was just me and the bricks of Lego, man. Just me and the bricks of Lego. And I would put together whatever I wanted to put together, and it was for my pleasure. That spaceship was for my pleasure. That car was for my pleasure. I put those things together for my pleasure. God created all things, including me and you, yes, you, complex you, difficult you, deep you, 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 yes, you. He created you for his own pleasure. He is number one. See, that goes right against the spirit of the age. That goes right against the TikToks and the Instagrams. That goes right against what we hear in our music, particularly in modern music nowadays. That goes against what we hear. What we hear nowadays is, I'm number one. I'm number one. Well, it makes me happy. And so that's what matters. It makes me happy. That's what matters. As long as it makes me happy, that's what matters. That is so different to what the Bible teaches. Because we weren't created for our pleasure. We were created 
for God's pleasure. So the question isn't what makes me happy. The question is what makes God happy? Because he is number one. Listen, if there is an order of things, if, if, if there is an order of priority, if you were to think right now about the different priorities of your life, different things that you've got to have together, different things you've got to have in place, from most important to least important, something will be number one. When you put all of your things, everything you've got to handle, everything you've got to do, when you put it all into priorities, something is going to be the most important thing. God is number one. If something else is number one, everything else is kind of like off. You know what I'm saying? It's all kind of off. If what, if, if what should be number three is number 17 and what should be number 16 is number two, it's like, man, your priorities are off. Have you ever met someone that, you know, you listen to them talk and you're thinking, I think your priorities are a bit off, mate. You ever had that kind of conversation or had that thought? It's like, I, I, I think your priorities are a little bit, I think you, you need to rethink that a little bit. Well, if God isn't number one, something's a bit off. If, if God, if you're number one, Something's a bit off. Well, did you make yourself? Did you, did you bring yourself into being? Did you birth yourself? That's a tricky one to get my head around. How can you do that? Did you form yourself? Did you, did you, did you put together your own self? No. Neither did I. Someone brought me forth onto this earth. He is number one. And if he isn't number one, something's off. And God seeks those. When he says he seeks worshippers, God is seeking those that will get that right. God is looking for men and women. God is looking for teenagers and tweeners. God is looking for children. God is looking for people who will get it right? Is there anyone out here that understands that if I'm not number one, everything's off? He's looking in the schools and he's, he's looking in your workplace. He's looking through the, your family tree. He's, he's, he's looking around the, the, your neighborhood and the houses on your street. God's looking for someone who will not put something else as number one, but will put him as number one. Because when you put him as number one, then everything else can begin to take its rightful place after that. When God is number one, then everything else begins to find its place. Your past begins to find its place. Your future begins to find its place. Your purpose begins to find its place. Your identity begins to find its place. Your marriage begins to find its place. Your children begin to find their place when God is number one. Your finances begin to take place when God is number one. Your health, everything comes into perspective when God is number one. When God has the pride of place in your life. When there is a man or woman who puts God first in everything, then everything begins to find its place. Number two becomes number two. Number three becomes number three. Number four becomes number four because number one is number one. Matthew chapter 6 verse 33, Jesus said it right there. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added unto you. Put God first every time, every time I mess up in my life, it's because I put something else as number one. Every time I've caused my own self pain, it's because I put something else as number one. Usually myself. <laughs> Usually me. Well, I just want it. 
I just want it. It looks good and it feels good and it tastes good and it sounds good and it's real good and I just want it. And when I put myself at number one because I need it, you don't understand how much I need it. And I put it as number one because it's just, there's nothing wrong with it. It's not harming anybody else. When I put myself as number one, everything else, how can God be number two? How does that make any sense? The creator of the entire cosmos is number two in your life. It doesn't make any sense. It just sounds wacky. God deserves number one. And that's what worship means. Worship, basically the English word worship, it comes from the English word worth. Worthship. Worthship. Basically, worship is how much God is worth to you. How much is God worth to you? Is he the most important thing in your life? Is he worth more than anything else? Or is something else worth more than God? Does something mean more to you and to me than God? Worship is when you say God is worth it all. He is worth more than anything. He is number one in my life. Someone say, God be number one in my life. Say it one more time. Say, God be number one in my life. Now, that's the end of message one. And now we get to message two. The first message. Oh, thank, oh praise the Lord. Amen. Amen. The first message was worship matters. The second message is music matters. Mu music matters. Right? Everyone's quickly going through their YouTube music and Spotify and they're going through it right now, their Deezer playlist. Okay, so. Music matters. We're going to read a big portion of scripture right here. I know we're used to little, you know, one little verse here and there, but we're going to read a, we're going to read a passage of scripture right now. 2 Kings chapter 3, verses 14, sorry, verses 4, to 20, 4 to 20, 16 verses, what do you think I am in church? <laughs> 16 verses we're going to read, you ready? Now Misha, king of Moab, was a sheep breeder, and he regularly paid the king of Israel 100,000 lambs and the wool of 100,000 rams. But it happened when Ahab died that the king of Moab rebelled against the king of Israel. So King Jehoram went out of Samaria at that time and mustered all Israel. Then he went and sent to Jehoshaphat, king of Judah, saying, the king of Moab has rebelled against me. Will you go with me to fight against Moab? And he said, I will go up. I am as you are. My people as your people. My horses as your horses. Then he said, which way shall we go up? I love that. He's just down, huh? Like, yo, let's do this. And he, which, way, which way shall we go up, brother? And he answered, by way of the wilderness of Edom, verse 9. So the king of Israel went with the king of Judah and the king of Edom. And they marched on that roundabout route seven days. And there was no water for the army nor for the animals that followed them. And the king of Israel said, alas, for the Lord has called these three kings together to deliver them into the hand of Moab. But Jehoshaphat said, is there no prophet of the Lord here? that we may inquire of the Lord by him? So one of the servants of the king of Israel answered and said, Elisha, the son of Shaphat, is here, who poured water on the hands of Elijah. And Jehoshaphat said, the word of the Lord is with him. So the king of Israel and Jehoshaphat and the king of Edom went down to him. Then Elisha said to the king of Israel, what have I to do with you? Go to the prophets of your father and the prophets of your mother. 
But the king of Israel said to him, No, for the Lord has called these three kings together to deliver them into the hand of Moab. And Elisha said, As the Lord of hosts lives, before whom I stand, surely, were it not that I regard the presence of Jehoshaphat, king of Judah, I would not look at you nor see you. Dude. Verse 15. But now, bring me a musician. Then it happened, when the musician played, at the hand of the Lord came upon him, and he said, Thus says the Lord, make this valley full of ditches, for thus says the Lord, you shall not see wind, nor shall you see rain, yet that valley shall be filled with water, so that you, your cattle, and your animals may drink. And this is a simple matter in the sight of the Lord. He will also deliver the Moabites into your hand. Also you you shall attack every fortified city and every choice city and shall cut down every good tree and stop up every spring of water and ruin every good piece of land with stones. Now it happened, verse 20, in the morning when the grain offering was offered that suddenly water came by way of Edom and the land was filled with water. Can someone say amen? This story right here is about a king called Joram who was not a good king. See, there were good kings in the Bible, and there were bad kings in the Bible. And Joram was not a good king. He was one of the bad kings. He, well, he wasn't, like, really, 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 really bad. His parents, Ahab and Jezebel, ever heard of those names? Now, they were really, 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 really bad. But Joram was, like, kind of, like, really, really, really bad. You know, ever told yourself that? I'm not that bad. You know, I'm, I'm not as bad as him. Come on, give me a break. Joram was like really, really bad. Not really, 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 really bad. But the thing with Joram was that he wasn't a king after God's own heart. He was not a king who loved God. How do we know this? Because he didn't purge the land of idolatry. When he became king, he had the opportunity. It's easy to stand on the sidelines and say, well, if I was, you know, if I was, you know, in that place, I would do this. You know what I'm saying? How many football lovers out there with their uh, bag of crisps and, and bottles of Coke are like, nah, man, I would have done this. I would have kicked it with my left foot. It's like, no, bro, you can't even get off the chair, dude. Like, chill. <laughs> it's easy to stand on the side and say, yeah, this is what I would do. But when you actually have the opportunity to do something, what do you do then? And when Joram became king, he had the opportunity to get rid of idolatry in the land. And you're like, what's idolatry? Well, idolatry basically is this. When you put something as number one that isn't number one. That's called idolatry. And they used to have like statues and uh, like the things that they made out of stone and out of wood. And they would put it there and they'd say, yeah, that's my God. And they'd give it names like Baal or Ashtoreth or Molech. They had these names and they'd be like, yeah, that's my God. God is whatever, but that's my God. And God hates that. God hates that. Because that's like saying, God, you, you're number one, but you're not number one. This thing is number one instead. And he calls it an idol. He calls it an idol. How many times have we been guilty of putting an idol where God should be? A desire, a, a, a thing, a, a, a person, a, I don't know. Where God should be, we put something else. That is an idol. And when Joram became king, he had all authority to get rid of all the idols in the land. But he didn't do it because he didn't really love God. He didn't really love God. Something else could be number one. And that's deeply offensive to God. In Exodus chapter 20, verse 3, it's in the Ten Commandments. You shall have no other gods before me. So basically, Joram becomes king. Moab is another king from another place. He used to pay tribute. 
And like when Joram became king, he's like, nah, I ain't paying you no tribute no more. I want to do my own thing. Joram's like, no, that's not the arrangement. We've got to keep the arrangement we had. No, yes, no, yes, let's fight. So then Joram's going to go now and fight the king of Moab to make sure that they keep the arrangement that they had. And on the way there, he asks this other king, Jehoshaphat, will you come with me? Can we go and fight them together? And Jehoshaphat says, yeah, all right. Now, Jehoshaphat is different to Joram. Joram, the king of Israel, was like a really, really, really bad king, but yet a king that did not get rid of the idols. Jehoshaphat, he's a different kettle of fish. Jehoshaphat, king of Judah, was a good king. Jehoshaphat knew how to trust God. Jehoshaphat knew how to put God first. You read in 2 Chronicles chapter 20, and there's a whole story there about Jehoshaphat putting God first. When he was coming under attack from other armies, what did he do? He called all the nation together, and he got them fasting and praying, and then he asked God for guidance, and then God guided him, and then God gave him a crazy strategy. And he did the strategy that God told him to do, and God gave him the victory. Jehoshaphat knew how to trust God, unlike Joram. That's important. I'm grateful that I have people in my life that are good influences on me. People in my life that know how to trust God. I do my best to trust God, but I don't always get it right. But I'm grateful for the men and the women in my life who give me the right advice. How many know what it feels like to only have people in your life that keep giving you the wrong advice? They keep telling you to put something else first other than God. They talk to you. You sit down with them. You share your heart with them. And all of their advice to you is about pleasing yourself or getting your revenge or whatever else. They never teach you how to put God first. And I think a lot of us would put God first in our lives more if we knew how to do it. But sometimes we just don't know how to put God first, so we put something else first. Not even realizing that we might even find ourselves in a place of idolatry if we keep doing it. So praise God that Jehoshaphat was involved. Praise God Jehoshaphat was on the scene. He was a man who knew how to put God first. And they come to a place, Joram and Jehoshaphat and this other king, three of them, all marching together through the wilderness, and they get to a place where everything is dry. They're in this dry wilderness, and it's got so dry after seven days of walking around the wilderness. They are dry. They are dehydrated. The men are dehydrated. The animals are dehydrated. They are totally dry. Totally dry. And I know some of us know what that feels like. When you come to a place where you just feel totally dry. Have you ever come to a place where you just like, you didn't want to pray? You didn't want to pray, you didn't want to read the Bible, you, you didn't want to come to church, you didn't want to talk to anybody, you didn't want to see anybody, you didn't, you didn't even want to be happy. Anyone know what that feels like? You're like, you know what, I don't even want to be happy, don't try and cheer me up. Who do you think you are trying to cheer me up? You actually want to be, have you ever been that so dry that you'd rather just stay miserable because it just takes too much effort? Right? Anyone know what I'm talking about? Or is that just me? Okay, you know, you know, okay. Some of you know, some of you know, some of you know. They came to a place where they were bone dry. But you can see the difference in these two kings' relationship with God by what they said. In verse 10, this is what Joram said when he got to the dry place. Verse 10, and the king of Israel said, alas, the Lord has called us together to deliver us into the hand of Moab. What does that mean in plain English? Ah, see, God just wants us to die. <laughs> That's what that means. That's what God, God just brought us out here to make us dehydrated and dry and dead so that Moab can come and kill us all. That's where Joram was at. That was Joram's relationship with God. 
Nothing ever works for me. Nothing ever goes right for me. God hates me. God's got something now for me. Everyone else gets so much luck and I never get no luck. That was King Joram. But what did Jehoshaphat say in verse 11? But Jehoshaphat said, Is there no prophet of the Lord here that we may inquire of the Lord by him? Jehoshaphat's like, yeah, you know what? I feel dry too, Joram. But before we jump to conclusions, doesn't God have anything to say about this? Isn't there someone here that can tell me what God wants to do? Rather than jump to conclusions about what I think God's doing, isn't there someone here that can give us some wisdom? Isn't there someone here that can tell me what the word of God says about my situation? Doesn't God have anything to say about this? I want to seek God. I want to find out God. I feel so dry. I feel miserable. I feel low. I feel depressed. I feel beaten. I feel crushed. But God, surely you've got something to say about this. God, why is this happening? Or or if you don't even want to tell me why, God, then at least tell me what to do. God, like, what, what can I do? Oh, I love it. I love it when we know how to run to God in difficult times. Too many people are always running to something else. When tough times hit, what do you do when you get discouraged? What do you do when you feel offended or used? What do you do when you get let down by somebody? No, really, honestly, I know it's Sunday morning and we're here in church and we're all holy. But I'm talking about on Friday night or on Saturday night. What do you do when someone sends you the text that breaks your heart? What do you do when someone calls you on the phone and turns your world upside down? Really, honestly, let's get to realistic things here. What do you do when you open the envelope and what you see in the envelope boggles your mind and saps all the energy out of you? What do you do when you start feeling the same emotions you felt last year and the year before and you don't know what to do with them? I'm asking real people some real questions. What do you really do when you feel dry? Are you like Joram? Who just comes to conclusions? Or are you like Jehoshaphat that says, God, what do you say about this? What can I do in this place where I feel so dry? Is there not a prophet here? And it just so happens there was a prophet called Elisha. Like I said, I can't go into all the details, honestly. I wish this was like the only message I had today and then I could go into all the juicy details. I know some of you like juicy details. Shy laughter. (laughs) But Elisha was there. And Elisha, when they called Elisha, you saw what Elisha said. (laughs) You saw what Elisha said in verse 14. When Elisha comes and looks at King Joram, and looks at the other king from Edom, he's like, verse 14, as the Lord of hosts lives before whom I stand, surely were it not that I regard the presence of Jehoshaphat, king of Judah, I would not look at you nor see you. Elisha had no respect whatsoever for Joram. Elisha was annoyed by Joram. This is the man of God. How many know that men of God can get it wrong? Men of God are... A human, and Elisha, the man of God, stands there and looks at Joram and like, I don't even want to talk to you. I don't even want to see you. Crazy, right? I don't, you, and why? Because he saw what Joram did. He saw he, his leader was Elijah. And Elijah was the one that had to face Joram's parents, Ahab and Jezebel. And Elisha saw all the pain that his leader Elijah went through because of Joram's parents. 
He was the one sitting there, standing there, watching what his leader, the person that he respected, the person he followed, all that he had to go through at the hands of Ahab and Jezebel. And then when finally the time came for that to end, now it's his turn, Elisha, with Ahab and Jezebel's son. And he looks at the son and he sees that the son has not really done anything any better. The son could have changed things, but didn't. And he stands there looking at him like, I why are you even coming to me? Go to the, the, the gods of your, your, your mother and father. Go ask them. Don't come to me. Go to them. But then he looks at Jehoshaphat and was like, because you're here, man, I've I, 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 I got, got a word. I've got a word. But, but what does he say before he gives the word? Verse 15, bring me a musician. Why did he say that? He's about to talk to these kings and give them a word from God for their situation. But before he gives the word, he says this, bring me a musician. Why did he ask for a musician? That in this dry wilderness, they're desperate for a resolution. They call the man of God. And the first thing the man of God says before giving the word, bring me a musician. Why? Because music changes the atmosphere. Music shifts the atmosphere. Music does something to you. Music does something to the atmosphere around you. Certain kinds of music make you do certain things. Certain kinds of music make you feel a certain way. Certain kinds of music bring back certain memories. Certain kinds of music remind you of moments. I remember one time when I was on the Golden Gate Bridge in San Francisco with a couple of friends. And it was so beautiful. And my memory is rubbish. Anyone who really knows me knows that I have a really bad memory, okay? If you ever come to me and say, do you remember when? Probably the answer is no. <laughs> Please don't be offended. I've, I'm trying to work on it. I've got a really bad memory. And I'm there on the Golden Gate Bridge, and I'm thinking, I really don't want to forget this moment. And I kind of think I will. So I put on a song. It was this little jazzy number. <laughs> it was really up to me and jazzy. I can hear it in my head right now. And then as we're there, I just played that song on repeat in my ears. And I'm there on the Golden Gate Bridge, and I'm walking with my friends, and we're laughing, and we're chatting, and I've got this song in my head. And now, every single time that song comes on, I go right back to the Golden Gate Bridge. And the sunshine, and my friends. My daughter knows it. She calls it my happy song. And she'd be like, Dad, play your happy song. Now she knows all the words. She knows the words better than I do now. I think she uses it too when she, you know, if, if she ever misses me, she'll put on the happy song. I'm not going to sing. I'm not going to sing. <laughs> I'm not even going to tell you what it is. It's my little happy song. And it takes me right back to Californian sunshine on the Golden Gate Bridge. Because music is powerful. Music will do something to you. Music will affect you for good or for bad. Listen, I'm a musician. For those of you who don't know me, I'm a musician. I studied music from the age of six. I, had, I went on a special music course throughout my whole school years. Did my Jesus season, my A-levels, and my degree in music, music and theology. I'm a classical pianist. I played classical piano for years and years and years. I write songs, blah, 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 blah. So when I'm speaking about music, I'm speaking about something I'm not an expert in, but, 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 but I, I have a relationship with music. I know what it is to make music. And I know that music is powerful. Music can shift an atmosphere. 
Elisha was there. He didn't even want to talk to these kings. He's going through changes. He's got an attitude. Joram's got an attitude. Joram's like, oh, God just wants us to die. Elisha's like, yeah, go ahead and die. I don't even want to talk to you. <laughs> and Elisha's like, you know what? I think there's a word from God, but I got to shift the atmosphere first. Because if you leave this one to me, I'm going to just tell you something else. So bring me a musician. <laughs> I remember when I, when I first got married, or just before I got married, you know, and um, I went into the apartment that we were going to move into, and you know, you know, you feel like, you know, you feel like a man, in it? Like, yeah, man, I'm going to go into the apartment, I'm going to paint the walls, I'm going to get ready for my wife, right? And so I go in there, and I'm getting ready, and I get everything in place. It was right around the corner from Highbury. What do you mean? The home of the mighty Arsenal. What are you talking about? I got the apartment ready. But then in one of my prayer times, I think, no, it was my first prayer time in the house. You know, it's like, yeah, this is my first prayer time in the house where I'm going to live with my wife. And I really felt that God put it on my heart. If, if you're under the age of like 35 or 30, I'm going to sound really old right now. Okay, just forgive me. I really felt like God put it on my heart to, to go and buy a CD player. What are you laughing for, man? Leave me alone. I'm 45 years old now, you know. Go and buy a CD player. And I'm like, like what? Why? You know? <laughs> but I really thought it was the Lord. So I got up from prayer and I went down to Argos and I bought a CD player and I came back and I, all the, the whole time, I don't know why I'm doing this, I just felt like God said buy a CD player. So I just went to Argos and I bought a CD player and I came back to the house and I plug it in and they're like, well, I've got a CD player now, I'm as a player CD, right? So I got a CD, it was a CD of worship music. And I put the CD on, and as I pressed play, and the music began to fill the room, then it hit me. God was saying, prepare the atmosphere. Shift the atmosphere. You're going to get married to this girl? You're going to bring her into this house? You better shift the atmosphere, boy. You better prepare the spiritual atmosphere for your wife. Music is powerful. Music shifts atmospheres. Why do you think boxers want to put music on before they go and fight? They want to get themselves into a certain mood. Athletes of all kinds, ask them what their song is. They got a song. Most of them got a song to play before they go and get on the field or get in the ring or get on the track. They, got to, they, they want music that will do something to them. Whenever you want to set a mood, you put music on. Elisha's like, I need to put music on. Bring me a musician. And then it says that as, then it happened when the musician played that the hand of God came upon him. Why do we in church start with music? To shift the atmosphere. Listen, if we didn't start with music, it would be like some kind of, I don't know, boring university lecture. Everyone's just sitting there. You gotta shift the atmosphere, man. Everyone came from wherever they came from, ate whatever they ate, saw whoever they saw, and now they're just sitting there like church. You gotta shift the atmosphere. That's why we start with music. That's why music's so important. That's why it's so important. It's a lesson. Listen, if you're new to church, this is a lesson. We do it to shift the atmosphere. And if you play the right kind of music, it helps to shift the atmosphere. Some people are depressed because they keep listening to depressing music. They're like, no, I want to listen to music that identifies with my situation. The artist understands me. He knows where I'm at. Yeah, okay, he knows where you're at. But he ain't helping you get anywhere else from where you're at. Now, I'm not saying, don't listen. I'm not saying, I'm not one of them people like, thou shalt not listen to. I'm, I'm not one of those people. 
But at the end of the day, man, if all you do is eat Mars bars, you're going to get sick. Right? If that's all you eat, if all you eat is Twinkies and Snickers bars, you're going to get sick. And if all you do is you keep listening to depressing music and watching depressing programs and, you know, the go- gossipy people love gossip stuff, man. They always want to go and find gossip magazines and watch gossip TV. And, oh, look what she said to him and then he said that and then, oh, ooh, ooh, right? And they get into this fantasy world and suddenly the program ends, but they're still in the program. Right? And they go to work and they're like, oh, look what he said. Oh, did she? Oh, did she? Oh. Because you keep filling yourself with gossipy stuff, it makes you gossipy. Am I preaching to somebody today? Am I hurting your feelings? <laughs> That's why you got to put on music that changes the atmosphere. If you want to be closer to God, play music that brings you closer to God. Just stop playing it. Play it in your car. Play it in your bedroom. Play it on your ear, uh, 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 AirPods. I couldn't remember what it's called then. <laughs> play it. That's what Elisha did. And check this out. Bringing it to a close soon now. Check this out. When, when, when the atmosphere was shifted and the musician started to play, it says that then Elisha gave them the word. Verse 16, and he said, Thus says the Lord, make this valley full of ditches, for thus said the Lord, you shall not see wind, nor shall you see rain, yet that valley shall be filled with water, so that you, your cattle, and your animals may drink. Right? Verse 17. So basically what what that means is this. God already had a miraculous solution to their problem. But they would not have got the solution if they stayed in the same atmosphere. Because the atmosphere was shifted, they were able to hear the solution. And catch this, verse 18. And this is a simple matter in the sight of the Lord. He will also deliver the Moabites into your hand. That was this. It was like, right now you feel thirsty, and all you're thinking about is water, but actually, God's going to do that. That's going to be simple stuff for God. That ain't nothing. He's actually going to go further than just giving you water. He's going to give you total victory. He's going to give you victory over your enemies. While they were walking around dry, God already had it in his heart to not just give them water, but give them complete victory. But they only were able to hear it when they shifted the atmosphere. If they stayed in the same atmosphere, they would never hear the solution. They shifted it. They said, I'm not wallowing anymore in this. I need to hear from God. So I'm going to shift the atmosphere. I'm going to cut some stuff out. There's some junk that I keep on letting fill me up. And because the junk fills me up, I have no solutions. I'm depressed. I'm discouraged. I'm wayward. I'm lost. Because all I do is fill myself with junk. So I'm going to stop filling myself with junk. I'm going to shift the atmosphere so that I can hear the solution from God. And music is what shifted the atmosphere. God uses musicians. And I can't go into it now. But there's time after time after time throughout the Bible where God uses a musician to shift the atmosphere. But I want to tell you this today. You're a musician too. You are a musician. Turn to someone and tell them you're a musician. Turn to the other person and say you're a musician. You're a musician. You're like, what do you mean I'm a musician? 
I don't play nothing. I don't play anything. I don't play any music. I don't play guitar. I don't play keys. I'm not a musician. What do you mean I'm a musician? In what way am I a musician? Give me two spoons and I can have a go. I might be able to swing a tambourine around a little bit, but how am I, how are you a musician? Because you have a musical instrument, and that musical instrument is your voice. Bring me a musician. Bring me a musician. Your voice is your instrument. What do you mean my voice is my instrument? I can't sing. Now, what do you mean you can't sing? What, what do you mean? What do you mean you can't sing? That's not what you mean. You mean I don't sound like Beyonce. That's what you mean. Uh, that, that's what you mean. I, I don't sound like Sam Smith. That's what you mean, right? When I, when, 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 like who? <laughs> I, I, when, when, I, when I sing in the shower, I don't sound like Adele, so I can't sing. Okay, maybe, maybe you can't sing well. <laughs> but that doesn't mean you can't sing. You know what singing is? Singing is literally turning your body into a musical instrument. And it's so intimate. That's why you feel nervous when you sing. That's why you feel shy. That's why you feel awkward. Maybe you come to church one time and everyone's singing and you're like, I ain't singing nothing, dude. Because you feel awkward. What, do you know why you feel awkward? Because it's so intimate. When you sing, you're allowing air to come from deep inside your body. And you're allowing that air to make a sound through your, through your throat. And you're letting that sound from inside come outside. It's a very intimate thing. It can, it, it can feel awkward. It's like, oh, I feel like... Actually, this, when you think about it, that's why singing is so powerful. That's why when people get excited, they want to sing. That's why when people are, are sad, people are sad. You ever heard one of those sad singers? And when they sing, you feel their pain. See, singing is so intimate. Singing is an offering of your intimate self. Singing is you saying, you know what, I'm going to be vulnerable right now. But isn't that what God wants of us? Does God want us to just tough it out and have something else that we can rely on? Isn't that putting something else as number one? Doesn't God want our vulnerability? The Bible commands us to sing. The Bible commands us to sing. And this is the last scripture. I'm glad Josh is here because we're winding down. This is the last scripture. Colossians chapter 3 verse 16. Let the message about Christ in all its richness fill your lives. Teach and counsel each other with all the wisdom he gives Sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs to God with thankful hearts. He says, let Christ's message be rich in you. Teach and counsel each other with wisdom and sing. The Bible puts singing at the same level as teaching about the word of God, as letting God's word fill your lives. Singing. Sing psalms, sing hymns, sing spiritual songs. You know, even Jesus sang. You know, Jesus sang. You'll see it in Matthew verse, chapter 26, verse 30, where it shows Jesus singing. Even Jesus sang. There's a book in the Old Testament called the Book of Psalms, which is 150 songs. 150 songs. There's a whole book of songs in the Holy Scriptures because singing is so important because singing is making yourself vulnerable before God. But this is the key thing. Singing plus worship. Music is one thing, but worship, when you're putting God as number one and you're using your singing voice to do it, there's something so powerful there. You're like, God, be number one. 
God, I give you this situation. God, because you're good, you're great, you're worthy. Are you like Joram? Like, oh no, woe is me, everything's terrible and rubbish? Or are you like Jehoshaphat? Lord, I need you. God, I need you. Do you need him? Do you really need him? Would you even lift your voice and sing how much you need him? When was the last time you really sang to God? When was the last time you really poured your heart out to God in song? There's something so powerful about allowing the air to rise from you. Oh, but I don't have a good voice. You think God's impressed by anyone's voice? You think God ever looks down? Do you think God looked at Pavarotti and like, oh, dude, you're really good. You are. I had no idea. God isn't impressed by anyone's voice. He's impressed by the heart. You think, you, you, you think if one of these amazing singers came here today, these singers that don't know the Lord, that because they're a good singer, we'd have them up on the platform? You think we would do that? You, you, you think we would do that? If Queen Bee walked in here right now, we'd be like, oh yeah, come and sing us on, on the platform because your voice is so good. No. God's not impressed by that. God's not impressed by that. It's what's going on in the heart. And I'd much rather have someone up here who is okay than someone who's amazing but doesn't have the heart. Because ultimately what shifts the atmosphere is music. And when music is combined with worship, you can shift the atmosphere through your voice. You, you can shift the atmosphere through your voice. I know what I'm talking about. I know what it's like to be depressed. I know what it's like to be in a darkened room. And I know what it's like in that moment to say, you know what, I feel terrible, but I'm just going to worship God. I'm going to sing to God. I know what it's like when the breakthrough comes because I'm no longer just holding it down by myself, but I'm giving myself to God. And it doesn't matter who can hear me. And it doesn't matter what it sounds like because it's for God. I'm putting him as number one and I'm doing it from the depth of my heart. There's something powerful and I believe today that there is a worship breakthrough that God wants to bring about in this church. I believe there are people here who have never even broken through in worship before. You don't even really know exactly what I mean by that, but there is a breakthrough coming to you. There is something that's going to take place in your life, but part of it is you bringing your own voice. You sing. You sing. You sing. You get over the insecurity. You get over the vulnerability. And you just sing on to God. And see how there begins to be a breakthrough. The atmosphere begins to shift. And the solution begins to come. So worship team as you come up. And everyone as you stand today. That's what we're going to do right now. We're going to end this service with singing. With singing. We're singing. And listen, I've done almost everything I can do. I have prayed and I have fasted and I have studied and I have prepared and I've come and I've stood and I've delivered a word. And I've almost come to everything that I can do. Because even the best worship leader in the world cannot make a person worship. You have to have a decision inside your heart. I'm going to worship. I'm going to sing. I'm going to do it. I'm going to just, even if you have to block out who's around you. And just close your eyes and just sing. And just worship. There is something that happens when the body, the most beautiful sound in the service is not the worship team. The most beautiful sound is not our harmonies and our chords and our rhythms and our transitions. The most beautiful sound is the sound of the body. When the body sings unto God and it's truly him as number one, there is a shift. 
So worship team, would you begin to lead us? Lead some worship, man. Let's worship God. Let's sing. And right there where you are, listen, maybe you're in that dry place right now. Maybe you're discouraged right now. Maybe you're literally confused about things and you really feel like, I don't even know where I'm going. Listen, let this be the day when you decide, you know what, I want to make sure that God is number one. I want to make sure of it. And right now, because God is seeking worshipers, because God is seeking people who will worship, I'm going to put him number one. I'm going to put myself number two, number three. I don't know where I'm going to put myself, but I'm going to put God number one right now, and I'm going to worship him, and I'm going to sing. I'm going to sing. I'm going to sing like a free man. I'm going to sing like a free woman. I'm going to sing until the chains break. I'm going to sing. Will somebody sing with us today? Come on, let's begin to sing. Come on, let's begin to sing. Victory Outreach Manchester is a family in the city and we are here for you. Visit us every Sunday in person at the church building or live on Facebook and YouTube at 10am. Go to our website vomanchester.org.uk for more information.